TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Stories of that game and what happened in the clubhouse is just fantastic. There's no game that can bleep you like this one. <laughs> it's Roycey on baseball. Let's go here. Racy on baseball here with Manny Hill. Uh, we're going to have a Red Bollinger who covers the uh, uh, Angels in there in town uh, and covered the Twins here for eight years for MLB.com. And we're going to then have uh, Buster Olney's uh, uh, every other week appearance, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. And, Manny, I was watching yesterday's game, or uh, was it Saturday's game, one of the games this weekend. And trying to figure out who's the biggest surprise of this season mm-hmm. for me. And certainly Mitch Garver doing what he's doing is, is a big surprise, but that's as a halftime player. I think it's, uh, I think it's the first baseman, C.J. Crone, much better in the field yeah. than I anticipated. Oh, yeah. And a different kind of – I mean, we saw last year, I, th- I think we were suspicious because Tampa Bay let him go. And we mm-hmm. saw what we saw what happened with when Tampa Bay let a guy go last year. Logan Morrison, and the yeah. Twins signed him, and it was Logan Morrison, who, by the way, was coming off thirty-eight home runs, mm-hmm. more than Crone hit for them. And we all thought, because what was the deal on Morrison too? Like he was a slow starter too, right? Slow, like yeah, well, and we thought when he was hitting one fifty yes. in April and May, we were like, ah, he'll be okay. Well, He's a slow a starter. Stat, there was a stat that he didn't drive in a run one year till like May fourth or something, yeah. and then he ended up with fifty or something. And then that was the year, not not two thousand eighteen, but that was two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. I mean, not two thousand. 2016. And then 2017, he had 38, but he still got slow starter. Well, it turned out is, you know, he just went up to the plate and tried to hit home runs. Mm -hmm. And then he couldn't, the the high fastball, he couldn't get to it. I don't know if he got to it the year before, but he couldn't get to it last year. So we get Crone and they let him go. He has a good year for him. And they don't even, and he, he didn't make that much money and they let him go. And you say, what in hell is this about? Yeah. Well, he's not only a power hitter. And by by the way, he played some outfield, too. So he wasn't noted as a real good first baseman. He played some outfield, too. But he can hit the ball the other way. He's a hitter. He's a hitter, yeah. He's a hitter. And, uh, I, you know, he's not Maurer at first base. He's not as good as Joe became his last two or three years. But he's fine and and makes decent plays, stretches, and you know what else he can do? He can run down a line and catch a ball. Not Herbeck style, not <laughs> not Herbie, but uh, but uh, you know he goes down to foul territory and he moves. He's slower than hell on the bases, but he's not slow in his movements at uh, first base. So he's I think he's been the number one surprise for me. Yeah, he's been a lot because I'll be honest. When they signed him, I I thought. Oh boy, is this going to be Logan Morris in part two? Yes, Another guy yeah. from Tampa that just hits home runs and he's going to get here and stink up the joint and be crabby about it. But no, he's he's been really really good with and to your earlier point with the glove. I saw the the game in Kansas City where Polanco had a couple of off throws and he scooped them up pretty good. Well, and, he's got the left side of the infield, or you never know. You can't call it the left side of the infield anymore because. Right. Uh, but he's got two side armors. Marwin throws it from the side, yep. 
and um, and Polanco throws it from the side half the time, and side armors throw you those kind of sinker balls going away from you, mm-hmm. and he's been very good on those. He'll actually enjoy it when Sano starts playing third base because Sano, the one thing he does is throw. You know, mm-hmm. he's a, a extremely good thrower and. Uh, and uh, Crone will actually be getting air balls. You know, <laughs> He'll have to jump of, up and grab a few. Or the uh, yeah, he might have to jump up once in a while. But uh, as 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 the uh, surprises go, I scope surprised me too, to some extent that he's a, but but two years ago he was really good. Mm-hmm. So I guess not as much. And uh, you know Garver hitting eight home runs and mashing them up into the he's been you know, unbelievable. They've they've. Uh, They've done something with him, you know. They've 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 changed that. He had the 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 great bat through the zone. I I remember talking to Chad Allen about him two years ago when they decided to keep him. Chad was the AAA hitting coach who got fired because they hit two twenty seven last year. But he he really loved him as a hitter because he kept the bat through the zone a long time and. Uh, and uh, pitch recognition was good. And he's respectable behind the plate now. He's you can okay. put you can put he's him behind okay. the plate now and not be scared. It is funny though, and I talked about this last week. They're getting these guys so low, yeah, that they now miss. You know, their pitch at the little below the letters is being called a ball. Yeah. Some some to some extent, they're getting them so low. But yeah, he's good behind there, uh, good behind the plate, and uh, you know he's been a really pleasant surprise. But Crone is my uh, number one surprise, I think. Yeah, no, they it's. I've been impressed with how many guys that they brought in that we heard Levine talk about this about you know we're banking on these guys mm-hmm. all having you know bounce back years or having good years. These guys they brought in on like one year and two but, year deals, but, but they didn't. I don't think they brought any of these guys. They, they don't. They didn't bring any of these guys in without an idea. Of how to make them better. Sure. You know, I think they yeah. have an idea how to make them better. And they, you know, for us guys who have been going to spring training for 40 years, it was odd to see how little on-field work they did. Mm-hmm. But they spent a lot of time watching video and a lot of time with a hitting coach and different people sitting next to him saying, you know, you do this now, try to do this, you know, a little more lift. Uh I'm curious to see what happened. What went so badly for Jonathan Scope last year from yeah. 2017, and now this year he's been he's been good. He's been fine. What happened last year for him to have that bad of a season? Well, I I think it was his walk year, right? I mean, it was his free agent. He was a free agent, or did they just let him go? Or was he had to be a I know Milwaukee just released him because he was so terrible. Yeah. But I think the reason, I I think he was going to be a free agent. But sometimes, man, those guys who've been waiting to get paid, and I'm not sure that he was, but they're waiting to get paid and they're paying 150, they're hitting 150 on on May 1st. It it gets in the head. I think Doge Doge has had that problem last year, don't you? Yeah, it was time Hell, to get, Bryce Harper probably had that issue yeah, last right, year too. Yeah. At the start of the oh, year, yeah. he was thinking about the contract, and he was. Struggling. It was time to get paid, and uh, you know, Doge ended up. You know, he ended up getting nine right from, but from you know, he's the Nationals, yeah. he's now if 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 this continues, Dozier 
is an inv- invite the spring training guy because he's hitting mm. he's hitting two oh two. I think I saw the other day a few home runs, but that's amazing a, from a guy that hit forty two bombs yeah, just what three years is. ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and. You know, they're talking about everybody trying to hit that high fastball now and get on top of it. Nobody got on top of it better than him. Yeah. But that fastball high and inside, he crushed it every but time. But I think it was 92 or 3. It wasn't 95 or 6. It yeah. was too much 95 or 6. I remember uh, Buster telling us last year that against velocity, you know, that some of the guys really who were taking falls and those were the, the new velocity of baseball – Guys who were having trouble hitting it, meaning 95 and above, those were mm-hmm. terrible. So that's uh, – anyway, C.J. Crone, yeah, I like him. Yeah, he's I pretty think, good. Uh, I think it's 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 pretty good. Don't you think Myron will start hitting a little bit more? He's already started yeah. to hit a little bit more last week or so. But when but, snow shows up, Marwin's going to be all over the diamond. He's going to be bouncing around. I think he's there's a very good chance that uh, he's your uh, backup infielder and – you know, it, they they'll either keep Adrian's or Cave. You know, mm-hmm. one or the other. When Matt, when Miguel shows up, it, 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 Miguel will show up. They'll probably although, keep Cave, won't they? Well, they'll keep both of them if Cruz has to go on the DL. They'll keep both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. But uh, but Cave or Adrian's, uh, I I don't know uh, which which way you want to go. I they they try to get by without having a backup outfielder when they had Willie there as your corner outfielder before he before he had the quickest DL assignment in history just because <laughs> they couldn't play without a you know they couldn't play without an outfielder but uh yeah anyway yeah I I think I don't know if we've uh, appreciated what this uh, team has gotten from uh, Crone yet this year so uh, he's been a he's, he's sort of my surprise player of the year right now All right, hey, we'll be back with uh, Rhett Bollinger and Buster Olney. Phil Mackey here for Federated Insurance. Now, if you listen to the radio show, I'm a numbers guy. Here's a couple numbers that should really get your attention. 2.4 million injured and 35,092 dead. Those are National Safety Council numbers from 2015. Federated Insurance reminds us that these are much more than just statistics. These are family members, friends, and neighbors. Distracted driving continues to be an epidemic. It could happen as easy as this. A driver approaches an intersection with a traffic light and they become distracted reading a social media post. They run the red light and collide with another vehicle, killing the driver and severely injuring themselves. So ask yourself, do you multitask while driving? Do you ever closely follow the vehicle in front of you? Do you find yourself checking your phone for messages while you're driving? Well, according to the Minnesota Department of Public Safety, there are 815,000 distracted drivers on Minnesota roads at any given time. Don't become a statistic. Make it home safe today. To learn more, contact your local Federated Insurance Marketing representative. Rhett Bollinger is with an emotional homecoming here to Minnesota. He uh, was the MLB.com reporter for the Twins for nine seasons. Nine, right? It was eight, actually. Eight. Uh, yeah, eight seasons, and now uh, back home uh, covering the Angels for MLB. Dot com. Meanwhile, since you left, the uh, Twinks have uh, kind of slapped together an interesting ball club here. A lot more uh, uh, hitting than you, uh, you're you used to, really. That's what it seems like. A lot of home runs, right? I guess I'm the curse. I came over in 2011 and after they won those division titles and lost 99 games and you know, <laughs> postseason one time. But otherwise, I was there for a down stretch of Twins baseball. And as soon as I leave, 
all of a sudden now they're the first place twins again. So yeah, they've been fun to watch up from afar. That that offense has been great. Yeah, and uh, of course, 2011 when you got here and you were in spring training with us, and the only question anybody wanted answered then was, could they beat the Yankees in October? What's amazing about that season is it came out of nowhere that they they could lose 99 games. Yeah, and it was funny. That was the year, you know, Nishioka too, and you wanted to know how good he was going to be. But all-star in Japan and all that. But then that was, of course, the famous year of Joe Maurer with the bilateral leg weakness and all that and missing time after the knee surgery. So, yeah, that was a rough one. You're right. That team, I thought, was still going to be built to be pretty good that year, and they just completely fell apart. And, yeah, I remember the last day of the season, they won on a walk-off. Savannah was just like, at least we didn't lose 100. Yeah. <laughs> I think he had a little curse word in there. But they, finished, back Rhett, they finished 19 and 50. 19, exactly. 19 and 50. They got to 44 and 49, and then they lost 50 out of 69. They were taking guys off the street trying to, trying to pitch. Of course, Morneau was hurt for a while that year, too. So they, everybody got hurt, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a mess. Has anybody ever had a few words ruin their career, uh, ruin their standing with the public more than Joe Maurer when Bugardi looked at his little slip of paper down in Tampa and said bilateral leg weakness, which Joe had nothing to do with, but it became the battle cry of the Joe Bashers for years. It really did, too. And I, mean, I think Bill Smith was a little bit at fault there, too. I think he's the one that just kind of heard that from the doctors and just told the media and ran with it and just said it. And then, of course, I think ESPN right afterward looked it up, thought maybe he had some sort of disease or it could be some sort of really bad thing. And it was just really all it really was, was his knees were sore because he had surgery and one of them wasn't responding as well. If they just would have said something like that, a setback with the knee surgery or something, any other term, it probably would have went over better. But that term, like you said, just became so famous for all the Joe Bashers because no one knew what it meant. And it was just, yeah, that was, that was as bad as it got. Hey, Red, did you grow up in Orange County? No, actually, I grew up in Los Angeles County, but not too far from Anaheim. So though, I was and uh, twenty-five miles north. So. <laughs> uh, closer to Dodger Stadium, or as a kid, did you go to Angel Stadium or Dodger Stadium? More Dodgers. I went to both. Like so they're both. Luckily, I'm only about thirty miles from Dodger Stadium, and about actually probably a little closer, twenty-five to Angels. But because of LA County, I was always a Dodgers fan growing up. So we went to uh, quite a few Dodgers games. But you know, go to some Angel games here and there. Um, but I was a Dodgers fan growing up. And, and uh, were you, uh, what generation uh, were you guys as Californians, your family? Oh, uh, let's see. My, well, only my, my, my grandmother was born in California. My other grandparents were all from Montana, Texas, and New Mexico. They were all, so my parents were the, kind of the first ones and then me. Uh, and I was talking to somebody about this today, that the Dodgers, you know, not only the success, but the Dodgers being first, has entrenched them with uh, generations of Southern Californians who it's really tough for the Angels to convince them that uh, they're the preeminent team in town when you got the Dodgers, whether the Dodgers are winning or losing. Oh, yeah, and the Angels always suffer from that. They're always kind of a kid brother, uh, no matter what. Uh, and the Clippers have had the same issue with you know Lakers fans that have been around for generations. Yeah, my grandparents did move you know to California in the late 50s. Uh, the same thing, that's kind of when the Dodgers first came to, so my grandpa... Great-grandpa were big Dodgers fans, and my dad, too. So it was kind of one of those things passed through the generations. And, yeah, I mean, we were all kind of the big L.A. teams. I grew up liking the 
Dodgers, and I grew up, you know, USC sports and the Lakers. Yes. <laughs> uh, Clippers and Angels were just kind of in the background, you know. Yeah, well, those are the big three right there. Uh, when exactly. uh, when your when your uh, parents got out there it was USC being number three, man, bigger than the Rams or the uh, uh, whoever uh, came next. You know. there now. <laughs> and uh, exactly. I think. You know what's funny as a as a kid from the black and white sitcom era, when you you know the the Dodgers, you know all that TV was done in L.A. And when you go back and look at all these shows, that Drysdale shows up for a cameo and Koufax and all the Dodgers of back then, it was amazing how uh, big they were in uh, in a huge place like Los Angeles. That's awesome. That's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah, they uh, they uh, did all those things. So uh, signing Trout certainly was uh, a great PR move, but having him already there and having the fans out there have a chance to watch him for five or six years it probably hadn't given him a big boost at the gate, huh? No, I don't think so. I think it was you know it was the right move to extend him and keep him for as long as they possibly could. But yeah, I don't think it really moved the needle in terms of you know this year in terms of the gate or anything. They drop pretty well as it is. It, you know, yes. I think they usually get around three million fans. This year it hasn't been great attendance, and they had a tough start to the year too. I think fans right now, Angels fans are just kind of sick of this whole, you know, not making the postseason with Trout. You know, they've only done it one time, um, and this year they're kind of in the same thing. They're kind of in the middle. They're a five hundred ish team. Um, you know, even when Trout's going good, the team doesn't really have the pitching right now. Uh, it does remind me a lot of a lot of Twins teams that I've covered. Uh, you know, have a couple of, you know, kind of star players, but then just like Mauer and Mordeaux, but nothing else beyond that, especially pitching wise. So um, that's kind of the thing. Yeah, I think fans are definitely frustrated because they've seen, yeah, like they've seen the Dodgers go to the World Series two years in a row and win their division that pretty much every year. And then Angels fans are stuck with the best player in baseball, but just nothing to show for it. Uh, what uh, Trout, I'm not going to ask how's he to deal with, but uh, he certainly is. It seems like a guy who does his duty with the media, but he's uh, he's not going to give you a lot of uh, breathtaking insights into himself, right? Exactly, yeah. He's a lot like, he kind of reminds me of Maurer in that sense, too, where he couldn't be any more friendly, and, and you know, he's available. He talks to the media whenever we need him, but doesn't really reveal too much. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that he's boring or anything, but, uh, you know, he's just not a guy that's going to be a great quote or he's not Tory Hunter or something like that. Uh, but he's still good with the media. And, you know, it makes our lives a lot easier that he is still available and couldn't be any nicer. It's just he's not, you're right, he's not going to be a guy that you're going to rely on for some sort of great quote after a game. Uh, seeing him uh, every day instead of uh, the uh, seven, eight times you saw him for eight years or you saw him throughout his career when you were with the Twins, uh, his whole career you were working in Minnesota before this year. What's the difference when you see him every day? It's pretty amazing. I mean, the thing is, see, when you really see, he works so hard, too. That's the thing. He's there before anybody. Even when I you know, first get to the ballpark, he's already down there doing his BP. He doesn't really take BP with his team. He kind of does his own routine like early. But he's just a hard worker, and then you see him play, and just the stuff he can do, just the plate coverage, and doesn't really swing at any bad pitches. It's rare nowadays when he even strikes out. Gets the ball so hard almost every time. Um, he's pretty amazing. And defensively, uh, he's not as you know quite as elite as he used to be because he's you know gotten a little older. He's 27, but um, defensively he can make a bunch of you know great plays, great arm. His arm was kind of the weakness early on in his career. He's kind of worked to fix that. So it's pretty much every day it is something that just you know is pretty amazing. Uh, especially with just how much he can, how hard he hits the ball, really. What's he weigh, you think? 240, 235? Yeah, maybe, yeah. He's definitely up there in a the sense that he's a big guy. See, that's yes. But he can run, though, too, man. He can really run. He's like a, you know, like a linebacker or like a, you know, just a really thick running back. Uh, the way he just, he's just an incredible athlete. He really is.
Um, yeah, just but yeah, Final Biggie is he's so fast. Yeah, it is. Uh, that is, uh, you know, I mean, people say Mickey Mantle, but you know, Mickey might have been two ten or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's. Uh, it, how, how do they get him out? What uh, can you know? High fastball. Uh, he doesn't that chase. Was the, the, that was the thing. That was the big thing for a while. Was the high fastball? You could get him out, and then he kind of closed that up. And there's really not that many spots now that you can get him out. Because like I say he doesn't really chase that much out of the zone. Uh, so you know, you're, he probably can hit the ball and hit it hard somewhere. I think it's kind of hope that he hits it at somebody more than anything. Because right now his weakness is kind of yeah, he's been kind of clearing those up. Because he was strikeout prone early in his career, and that high fastball definitely gave him fits. Because he loves the ball down, anything down. He'll go down and get it and just crush it up into the air. But, uh, you know, high fastball he's gotten better at. I think it's probably still probably his weakest spot, but he's definitely worked hard to kind of erase it. Rhett Bollinger is with us. Rhett, uh, you know, you you came into baseball, covering baseball, when uh, the whole thing was to take pitches, work to count, uh, you know, make, the pitch, make the starter throw a lot of pitches. Well, you're going to get the starter out of the game, whether he's throwing a lot of pitches or not now. They're going to go to the bullpen at the – at least the second sign of trouble. And uh, you watch this Twins team, they swing the bats early in the count, a whole bunch of them. Are you seeing that change? Yeah, definitely. you're right. That's the thing. I think, you know, players too are getting more aggressive and just taking, you know, trying for homers more. Uh, there's not really that two-strike approach anymore at all. Uh, they're just trying to get that pitch they think they can drive and swing as hard as they can at it, whether it's the first pitch of the count or the second one. It's completely changed. You're right. And even with the pitching with the Angels, as soon as they get through the you know the order twice, yes. pretty much all their starters get taken out in the fifth inning, even if they're pitching well, because they want their bullpen for matchup reasons and whatever the data says. So the game is yeah completely changed. Even in the you know nine years I've been covering it uh, on the beat, just with how much you know how much the offense has changed, how much home runs are up, and strikeouts. Um, so yeah, it's a different game. It's pretty amazing, and you know the balls too are really flying, and we've seen even, they, they finally put the Major League balls at AAA. Yes. And all of a sudden now, AAA, the home run rates are soaring, and they're wondering, oh, I wonder why. 250% because, higher or something. Yeah, but the, exactly. but the, I used to say that the, uh, you know, the, the reason for all the strikeouts was because guys weren't, they were swinging at one pitch and at bat. Well, now they're striking out, you know, so they, you know, they'd wait till the count was three and two, try to get a walk. And then if they, uh, you know, if they threw up, they'd only get one pitch to swing at in that situation. But now it's, they're still striking out. But as you say, it's because two strikes, the old idea, well, I better go to right field here. That's dead. That's, uh, that's long gone. So. And guys throw so hard now, too. I think that probably, you know, so many relievers that everyone throws 99. It's harder to hit when they're throwing that hard, so I do think that leads to it too, just more hard throwing relievers and that kind of stuff. But you're right, I do think that the approach has completely changed those well. So uh, the uh, Astros, uh, it doesn't uh, seem like uh, there's, uh, of, all, of all the division races that are decided uh, early, uh, there's not, the, the AL West seems to be the easiest because the, uh, I, I, uh, the Seattle, what was it, 16 and 3 start is kind of petered out. They're now three games under 500. Exactly, yeah. That division, the Astros are definitely the best team in it by far. They just played last week. was fun. The Angels and Astros had a series in Monterey, Mexico. Oh, that was how... kind of cool to see. Did and you... The Astros, though, took, took them to the woodshed. I think they scored 14 runs and then 12 runs and just beat up on the poor Angels. So, yeah, they're not in the same league right now. Did you go on the trip? I did, yeah. It was really cool. It was interesting. It was fun. The last year, you know, got to go to Puerto Rico as part of the Twins uh, series against the Indians and this year in Monterey. Uh, so, yeah, it was cool. The, ba- the ballpark was actually really nice. Uh, they renovated it, MLB did, so the clubhouses were awesome, and 
Uh, the atmosphere was fun. There was a lot of fans there. So, yeah, it was a fun series for the Angels. Like I said, they got... So the Astros definitely beat him up pretty good. I know when the Angels left, uh, not the Angels, when the Astros left here, uh, the forecast was you were going to get rained out two days in a row. How did they survive the uh, wet? It ended up not raining somehow. That was the oh. Angels had the exact same worries. It ended up just being one of those things where it said it was going to be raining in the forecast, and it never came. So both days, no rain delays, never had to play in the rain. Somehow they avoided it all weekend, but that was the big worry going in is that they actually going to play. I guess last year, at the same time frame, they had the Padres and Dodgers. They nearly got rained out. They had a rain delay and ended up playing anyway, and that was the night they threw a no-hitter in Monterey. So, yeah, this time, though, they got lucky with no rain. Hey, uh, being the world traveler you are, uh, had you spent much time in Mexico? And is that – Major League Baseball is trying to – make a big effort to kind of reclaim some of the the fan base in that country and it's certainly a, you you know you got a tremendous amount of poverty but you also have people with money and soccer certainly has the foothold there does uh you think baseball they can start producing players again it's a good question i think they're mlb would love to see that happen and you are right they're trying to see even if you know i think monterey is their test site to see if they could ever have a team there I think the issue with Mexico City is that it's just it's too high of an elevation. Yes, it's even a couple of thousand feet higher than Coors Field. I don't think it's probably you know probably not doable there. Uh, and Monterey is kind of one of the, I think probably the richest city otherwise, other than Mexico City. Um, and where we stayed in that area was you know kind of like the Beverly Hills of Mexico. It was so nice. It's in the ballpark itself, but the ballpark only held like maybe twenty five thousand at the most, and, and they, they drew like twenty one, twenty two to the game. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that there's you know still a, a big market of baseball fans in Mexico. I just don't know if they could support a team full time like that or not. But I know there's a lot of Dodger fans too there in Mexico, and I think it's a long time ago now. But I think Fernando Valenzuela had a big, big role in that kind of the sensation that he was in the early '80s. I think a lot of you know especially Mexican-based fans in LA too. That's a big part of their fan base. So yeah, I think they're trying to grow the game there. They're trying stuff out, whether it was that or. Puerto Rico, and I think the Red Sox and Yankees go to London next year, this year too. So they're, they're trying stuff out around the world, I guess. Um, and so it makes some sense, and it was a fun, a fun thing to cover. And uh, one last question for Red Bollinger: Does the uh, Angels traveling press corps make it easier to make curfew than the uh, Twins traveling press corps with Hayes and Lavelle Neal and those gentlemen? I think it's really hard to top Hayes <laughs> and uh, Lavelle. I think that's going to be always going to be an all-timer. Last year with Hayes on the beat with me. Uh, we definitely had a little bit of fun there uh, after a lot of those night games. So. Uh, but this beat, though, here is great. Jeff Fletcher is kind of a veteran on it. He's been around for a long time, and you know he likes to have his fun, too. Uh, otherwise, it's kind of younger writers with us, Maria Torres, and, uh, Ellie Times, and Fabian and Ardaya with The Athletic. But, yeah, it's tough to, to beat Lavelle, of all people. So, uh, But, yeah, it's been a fun beat, and it's been uh, you know excited to see everybody today at the ballpark. All right. Thanks, Rhett. Uh, Rhett Bollinger covers the uh, California Angels, the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles for the MLB.com. We'll be back and we're going to talk with Buster Olney. Uh, Buster Olney is with us, ESPN and ESPN.com. Uh, this week, uh, Sunday Night Baseball was in Wrigley Field, a very uh, entertaining uh, Brewers-Cubs series, close all weekend. John Lester on the hill. I mean, in incredible career he's had, but what an interesting cat he is, man. He's had a lot of strange stuff and the throwing the ball to first base and and those those 
two or three games a year when he goes one and a third and gives up eight. I mean, he's uh, without that, think what his ERAs would be. But uh, tell me about this guy. Yeah, it was interesting last night because it was about as miserable, Patrick, as I've ever had for conditions in a game uh, anywhere on a, on a Sunday night game. Uh, in fact, I you know was talking with some of the groundskeepers over the weekend on Saturday. They played 15 innings. They brought out 140 or so bags of 50-pound bags of that conditioner mm-hmm. uh, just to get through Saturday's game. They had to take four tons of material off on on Saturday wow. night, replace it all going into the game yesterday, and then it was as miserable as it was on Sunday night. Uh, and Len Casper does a great job being the play-by-play man for the Cubs. I saw him at, toward the end of the game. I was like, man, John Lester pitching in these conditions. He was so good, and he just shrugged his shoulder and goes, well, you know, that's John. Uh, and you're right. You know, Here's a guy who developed the yips thrown to first base, but he's competitive enough where he worked through it. Uh, he, he's uh, certainly at a stage now where he's become a borderline Hall of Famer. And I got some insight into why he's so competitive over the weekend. I asked him about, with Mother's Day coming up, about his mom, Kathy, who I'd been told she's the toughest one in the family. <laughs> Patrick, she worked for decades for the Pearson County Road Crew in Washington. She, as John said to me, she's the one out there machinery, digging culverts and laying <laughs> asphalt. And when he was pitching with the Red Sox, uh, she had double carpal tunnel syndrome surgery, and she was laid up. And John was just like, boy, I want to make sure she can hold my kids, and mm-hmm. mom, you ought to retire. And she kept saying to him, I can't. I can't let them win. <laughs> and she was talking about her pension, Yes. okay, where she's getting some money. And John looks at her and says, you know, mom, I'll give you the thousand-plus dollars. To, to make up for your pension, you're good. And she just kept saying, I can't let them win. I can't let... So she came back and finished her 30 years and got her pension. So that she's, gives you some insight into who John Lester is. She's driving the back hole and the whole thing, huh? She's <laughs> digging the holes. That's uh, that's something. That's, uh, that's uh, quite the mom. But uh, his... Uh, his assortment is uh, is pretty dang good when he's got it, man. He's uh, He's been something. Yeah, and I think that uh, there's no doubt David Ross was a transformational figure in his career because, as we say, John Lester was stubborn, and we've seen him so many times get into it with the umpire in the first inning over the strike zone. When David Ross started catching him with the Red Sox, he basically said, look, you stubborn cuss, you got to stop just trying to pitch to one side of the plate you pitch to the other side of the plate, everything opens up, and he really has taken a big step forward from there. And interestingly, that's exactly what's going on with Kershaw, where Kershaw's a stubborn cuss, mm-hmm. pounding the ball into right-handed hitters with his fastball, and the last couple of years he's pitching the other side of the plate, and suddenly it's a whole new world. Yeah, and uh, the, the Red Sox, of course, Lester is uh... – just of, of those guys that they, uh, you know, the Red Sox, uh, when the Red Sox were talking to the Twins about Santana, the Twins asked for Lester and Ellsbury, and the uh, Red Sox said, we'll give you one, you can't have both, and the Twins held out, of course, and ended up making a lousy deal with the Mets, but uh, they should have taken the left-hander, they would have replaced the Johan at least for a few years. Wow. Yeah, absolutely, under the category of deals you wish you had back, right? You just take one guy because you would have. It looks like John Lester, uh, last night, his 180th win, and when I asked him about his legacy and, and you know, <laughs> big numbers like we're talking about with Sabathia over the weekend, he, he said, you know, when you get to the end of your career, you start thinking about that. I'm not at that stage yet. I'm more thinking about catching John Lackey 
in total wins. <laughs> I've already got Beckett, and i got to get to Lackey, and now he's eight away. Because they, they're buddies of his? <laughs> they are buddies is that they played together, and as he said, if you pass guys like that, then you get the bragging rights. You can talk some smack. Uh, speaking of left-handers, uh, Bumgarner, uh, Bumgarner, who's, uh, I think he became everybody's uh, favorite uh, pitcher in America during the World Series, and uh, especially when we heard the stories about him giving his uh, his wife a cow for her uh, present. Wasn't it a cow or a horse? I can't remember which. For a, for a wedding present. Uh, I think we all love that guy, and uh, who knows where he's going to go. Yeah, and just to, uh, to to follow up on what you said, you know, I asked him that question. I said, I heard that you gave your wife a cow for a wedding present. And he looked at me and goes, no, it was a bull. And he paused and said, and now it's a steer. <laughs> that, that's Madison Bumgarner. But he, uh, yeah, he is available for trade right now. Uh, and that's what I've heard from other teams. He's a free agent this fall. His great team-friendly contract that he's been on for years expires. Uh, and the Giants are going to deal him this summer. Now, Ken Rosenthal, you know, nice report over the weekend. He got the eight teams that are on Bumgarner's no-trade list uh, over the weekend, but and it really, that's irrelevant because he's going to be traded. He's going to agree to be traded. He's going to go to a contender. He's not going to negotiate an extension. He's going to go into free agency, uh, and so what that no-trade clause means that, you know, if you're the Brewers or you're one of the eight teams that are, that's on that list, then uh, in order to get him to agree to the trade, the Giants are going to have to write a check. Not the, you know, not an interested team. It's going to be the Giants. And I think because they're rebuilding and want access to the best available uh, prospects, they'll do that. And let's face it, because he's been such a legacy guy, I don't think they'll have a problem writing him a check after years of outperforming his contract, say for a million, two million dollars, which is what agents are telling me that. Uh, you know, that no-trade clause probably is worth in terms of cash. Yeah, the list, uh, if it's accurate, uh, it sounded yeah. like a list of people most likely to trade for him more than uh, more than I don't want to go to Baltimore. I don't want to play for the Red Sox. I don't want to play for these teams. It was, where am I most likely to be traded so I can cash in on this no-trade clause? You always get the impression that a lot of players aren't one step ahead of management anymore. A lot of them are two steps behind them, but I always get the impression this guy's now he might have signed a deal that he wished he hadn't, but uh, I always get the impression he's a step ahead of everybody. And he has a lot on the line for the rest of the year because there were a lot of concerns around baseball coming off last year about the quality of his fastball, but in his most recent three starts, He's increased the use of the fastball by about 50%, and Bruce Bochy told me, his manager, he's throwing it with a lot more conviction. If he has a great um, August and September, then he's setting himself up for free agency. You know, I were talking before we started the show today. You know, he's been around forever, it seems like, and yet he's still 29 years old. So if he has a strong finish and then has an October platform and reminds everybody how great he is uh, under pressure... I bet he's going to get a really good deal. A big sweeping uh, pitch of his. Is that slider, slurve, a little of both, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, you know, what makes that pitch, too, from talking with hitters is that, you know, he first off, he's so big. Uh, you know, he's Paul Bunyan yeah. in baseball, and, and, uh, and he's got the hip turn. He hides the ball so well uh, behind him, and he also is absolutely he's one of those, I think, rare players who's absolutely convinced, I'm going to beat you. And there was that great at-bat at the end of the 2014 World Series 
when he faced Salvador Perez, and he just kept throwing a fastball after fastball after fastball until he got him out on a pop-up. And you know, Buster Posey told him right that moment, like, I don't know how you do it. Like, because he, even if his stuff isn't as good, and it's not as good on paper as so many other pitchers, he just, as Bochy said, throws with such conviction that he just knows he's going to beat you. And I think that's what teams will be interested in as we came down the stretch. Because we saw last year, you know, a year ago when you and I were talking, Cole Hamels is sort of a diminished asset in the industry. And, well, his metrics aren't great. His spin rate's not great. This isn't great. And then he went to the Cubs, and he was great because he got onto a good team in a pennant race, and the adrenaline came back. Uh, I still, uh, you mentioned Boshi. Uh, my greatest, my favorite five innings of managing ever him in Game 7, he sends Bumgarner out for the fifth inning and never looked at him for the next five <laughs> innings. He, if, if Bumgarner wanted out, he was going to have to come over and tap him on the shoulder because Boshi, you know, and, Bum, and Boshi obviously knows him well enough that he wasn't going to ask out, but Boshi wasn't going to give him that look like, you're okay, at least from what we could see on TV. He never looked at him. And you remember in that postseason, and my numbers might be a little off, but I don't think so, the second most number of innings thrown by any pitcher in that postseason were were 27. Madison Bumgarner in that postseason threw 52 and a third. Wow. And when it was over, I mean, it really was, when you look at the, in the history of baseball, you know, right there with the Christy Mathewson who once had a World Series where he threw 27 innings, didn't allow any runs. Bumgarner's performance in that postseason was transcendent. Uh, and and Bochy kept going to him and going to him and going to him, and he kept on performing and, and dominating. And, you know, that was the capper, that relief appearance in Game 7. And Boch told me that when it was over, like when he got a moment uh, with – uh, Madison, he's like, okay, come on, tell me. And he goes, yeah, okay, I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't going to acknowledge that till it was over. No, he was going to win the World Series. Say, uh, you were telling me you had a conversation with James Rouse, and I want to bring this up. A year ago, the Twins hitters had a terrible season, one of their lowest run scoring years in a long time. And the pitching, they didn't have much good pitching but the pitching wasn't as pathetic as the hitting and then the pitching coach got fired Alston and the uh the hitting coach Rousen got to stay so this change in philosophy they have hitting wise is one that it obviously it comes from uh uh an, an adoption of a new analytic formula I guess well, they're certainly doing something better than any team in baseball, um, and that is to put the ball in the air. They are have the highest percentage of balls hit, uh, fly balls hit, which is in 2019 where teams want to be. Because yep. the theory is, is you want to get the ball in the air because you have a better chance of doing damage, uh, and they're significantly higher than a number of other teams. And when I talked to James about this, I mean, you know, a lot of our conversation was about how. Um, in the last two years, it's been like revenge of the nerds for hitters, where they have, you know, after all these, uh, now that we see teams adopting these parade of relievers who throw really hard at the top of the strike zone, the question's going to be, has been, you know, how hitters are going to adjust. And James told me about how, you know, 10 years ago, you could go to a ball field, um, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon or uh, in spring training, and you wouldn't see a pitching machine out on the field but the Twins have done extensive use of pitching machines uh, out on the field because they want to get hitters reps against high fastballs. And he said that 
Uh, you know, they, he's got five or six guys that really like that to get the opportunity over and over and over to see pitches at 96, uh, you know, or equivalent to it. Uh, that's They're trying to replicate that whole thing at the top of the zone. Okay, let's try another one. Let's try another one. Let's try another one. And the Twins clearly, based on the numbers, are excelling at it. Their damage uh, that they're doing at the top of the strike zone, far and away the best team in baseball. And you mentioned James. You know, I was watching that and whether or not they make changes. I can promise you this because I've had executives of other teams talk about how they think he's one of the preeminent hitting coaches in baseball. If the Twins had let him go, <laughs> he would have been unemployed for about point two seconds. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, obviously they hired him and, and they liked him, but it, it just was uh, interesting that uh, boy, whatever they were trying to. He, he, the same guys he could, well, they missed Polanco for half the season, and Kepler was... Yeah. Uh, here's the deal, though, with Kepler. Like, Kepler, we always talked about this wonderful, nice, uh, straight-through-the-zone swing he has. Man, he's lifting with the best of them right now. He's down there uh, launching it and uh, and getting on top of it, too. But uh, it's uh, it's... You know what else they are? They swing at a lot of first pitches. Yeah, and that's it, James talked about that too. That a lot of the uh, the change that has has happened in baseball with hitters, um, not only to get to the high fastball, but also the change in the approach. Because it used to be, I mean, for you know decades and decades, you, you'd start off the game and you'd work the pitcher and you'd get a feel for what the pitcher's doing. And he and, and James said to me, he said, now it's hunting fastballs. Yep. You are hunting fastballs right from the first pitch. If you get a fastball in the zone to to hit. Then you drive it, and clearly pitchers are noticing because we're seeing the highest percentage of off-speed pitches ever uh, since they started tracking these things where pitchers are now saying, you know what, I'm not going to open the game with a fastball. I'm not going to throw the first pitch to a hit or a fastball. I'm going to throw my slider. Uh, like we saw Yuli Shasin last night uh, pitch against the Cubs. He's throwing 50% sliders. Yes, I heard Generally, that. He threw 65% sliders last night. And so hitters now, because of that uh, change in the way pitchers are working, they are hunting fastballs. Uh, well, it's interesting that last uh, season the Twins were being managed by the greatest first ball, first pitch fastball hitter I ever saw, Bob Molitor. But uh, he could never get the message through to the hitters that, uh, hey, if they throw you a fastball, hit it. Because uh, well, Molly, Molly never took a first pitch fastball if it was center cut. And you know what might be happening, and I you know, have not uh, spent several days around the Twins, so this is just a theory of mine based on my conversation with James. I do think, and we saw this with the Red Sox with J.D. Martinez last year, you need a Pied Piper. Uh, you need uh, Alex Cora going to uh, J.D. Martinez before the season last year saying, look, I want you to have Mookie Betts follow you around and, and think about hitting and work on hitting. And Nelson Cruz certainly seems to be a guy who's doing at least some of that based on what I heard from James. Now, James also said that he thought that a lot of the guys on that team learned from Joe Maurer, uh, you know, picked up things that helped them from Joe Maurer. But in terms of hunting fastballs, I would guess Nelson Cruz would help because he sees, I believe this to be right, the fewest percentage of fastballs in baseball. Like Opposing pitchers like, we are not throwing this masher fastballs. And to have him around every day reinforcing that, reinforcing the idea that you have to be ready to hit fastballs when they when you actually get them 
probably helps them as a unit. Uh, one of my favorite stories way back when uh, Jefferson was going to be a phenom for the Orioles. Give me his first name. John Jefferson? Was it a right-hander? He was coming up when they had the great pitching in the 70s. Wow. Guy named uh, Jefferson. Threw real hard. Yeah, I can't. I, Reggie. And, was it Reggie? Not Reggie. No, it was John or James or something. Okay. But uh, yeah. Earl Williams was, coach, was catching. And, you know, Jefferson was throwing 95 back when nobody did. And he's out there throwing change-ups and curveballs. And they finally go out to the mound, and Earl says, what the hell's going on here? Why doesn't he throw fastballs? And Earl said, I don't get fastballs. They don't get fastballs. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's, (laughs) – hey, uh, one thing about the cutter and the slider. I know that – you know, that year, Phil Hughes' great year, he threw cutter after cutter after cutter here and threw them all for strikes, and then he lost a lot of velocity. And uh, there's some theory that the cutter is hard in the arm. Do you, uh, I mean, I don't know if there's enough research or not, but I've, I've seen that when he was losing velocity. I looked it up, and some of the analytical guys say that pitch costs you velocity. Uh, Jim Abbott? had arm problems after that and he lost velocity and Andy Pettit went through some stages in his career he threw a bunch of cutters uh, I never saw it happen with Brian Rivera as you know that was the only pitch that he would sure, throw but I right. think he was such a special athlete that that didn't make a difference and, and you know what it's interesting um, in a time when we're seeing more Tommy John surgeries than ever before I don't think players worry about that so much especially when they get in their late 20s and early 30s and I know teams don't because I think that more and more and more, and I, boy, I see this with the Brewers now. They just piece together pitching staffs day after day after day with the, you know, the parts. And it's not like they have the classic five starters that you, you know you're going seven innings. I think Major League Baseball teams look at pitchers more and more like running backs in the NFL. We're going to run the heck out of you. Uh, we're going to pitch the heck out of you, and then eventually we know you're going to break down. And then guess what? We got six other guys behind you. Yeah, um, and that's why. They're, uh, you know, they're encouraging pitchers. Look, don't worry about uh, trying to set guys up. Don't worry about uh, trying to, to do that. Just throw your best pitch over and over and over and over again, which is how we get to a point where somebody like Ulysses Chassin is throwing 65% fast or uh, sliders in a game. One last question, Buster. Three years ago, maybe, as recently as three years ago, four at the most, we were going back to the dead ball era of the late 60s. Pitchers, we couldn't get any runs scored. Pitching was going to uh, dominate. Like We were going to lower the mound to two inches or something. Uh, you know, What happened? I mean, you get the 1-0 game and the 2-1 game, but uh, teams are scoring runs. Yeah, and I think it is because, as uh, Sal Fasano and, and James Rousen and others have told me, the hitters have adapted to the to the high velocity, to the to the parade of relievers, wow. and they're hitting all parts of the strike zone. That's part of it. And I also believe there's something going on with the baseball. And I can <laughs> tell you exactly what it is. Um, I know there's been done some research on it, and they they feel like it's wound more tightly. But I do think that that's different. Uh, you know, Justin Verlander, and I noticed. Uh, you know, Justin, first ballot Hall of Famer when he becomes eligible. He only brings this up when he has a bad game. <laughs> and, and, by the way, uh, so you don't think the Rochester Red Wings, who hit two twenty seven last year and about 30 home runs, and they now have 80, has anything to do with the baseball? <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. And, I, you know, and, and, uh, and you do sort of get the eye roll from some hitters who do notice that guys like Verlander will talk about it when it comes up. But I do think it's clear that there might be something different because baseball – 
you know, I mean, this is total conspiracy theory. They see the, you know, lagging attendance numbers in action. The only thing is now, of course, we have the all-or-nothing approach where you're seeing record number of strikeouts, um, you know, record number of home runs. They're probably going to have more no-hitters during the course of the year, including, you know, by Mike Fires. And I still, if I had my choice of products, I'd rather have the, you know, the the Jim Cott starting pitcher is going to come in and find a way to navigate his way through at least seven or eight innings as opposed to all these relievers we're seeing. All right. Hey, Buster, thanks. Talk to you in a couple of weeks, sir. Thanks, Patrick. All right. The great Buster Olney. Uh, Next week, Kirk, June, and Kelly, the TK doubleheader. Wow. We'll be back.